the scripture, you, you tremble at the, at the, the weightiness of the word, and I, that's where I'm at in my heart today. I feel so limited, so weak physically because of the, of the context again here today. Been in a sermon series. I don't like to call it a sermon series, but that's what it is, I suppose, um, on faith. Uh, went into the sermon series with the, uh, with the expectation that I would arrive at the place where we, I was certainly challenging unbelief in my heart. I've been very honest with you about this. Um, that unbelief can harbor, you can get disappointed, and you can harbor unbelief in your heart, and you can call it anything you want to, but you're better to just identify what it is. If you're stumbling in unbelief, just confess it to the Lord and ask for His strength and His grace. And, and I would begin to, to kind of angle in a direction uh, about receiving things from the Lord, but, but in, the, in, in one sense, though, that's not where I've arrived. Uh, I've kind of been describing this in my own thoughts is. Sermon preparation for me is not always an A to Z objective. It's not an alpha to omega beginning to end. Sometimes it's like a plinko board. I start at the top, but I don't know exactly where it's going to land when it gets to the bottom. And that's kind of where I'm at on this journey here. But I really feel confident that the Lord directed me to this particular passage here today. Um, and the, and the, and the, again, I'm using this word context, probably overusing it here, um, I think it's the right thing for today. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand up with me. We're going to begin reading. I'm going to throw this down. This is my notes to pick on JoJo for just a minute, let him know about his. Uh, uh, I'll pick that up later. And um, or J Dylan will help me out. I just didn't want to be distracted by that when I was looking through my notes. I'd be seeing tease JoJo about being appointed as youth pastor to Young at Heart. And so I didn't want to see that anymore because I have to move on from that. Um, Romans chapter number 10 here, where it's where we have drawn as the foundational text for this sermon series. Romans chapter number 10, though the context itself in this particular passage is a little bit greater than the one verse that I've been using, but I'll, by the time we're finished with this, you're going to have this written on the tablet of your heart, which is the place where it should be, right? But what saith it, the scripture says, the apostle Paul? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. I love that. I want to ask you, let's read it one more time. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It's near thee. It's in thy mouth and it's in thy heart. That is, the word of faith, the word of faith which we preach. So now we're going to go back to the book of Exodus today, and we're going to read 12 verses of Scripture while standing to honor the reading of the Word of God. If you need to be seated, I understand that. It's a sloped floor. I can understand. If you need to be seated, you go right ahead. But for the majority that can, I want to encourage you. We're doing this out of a biblical tradition by standing in the reading of the Scriptures. And since it's not a rather lengthy passage of Scripture, we're going to go ahead. It's Exodus chapter number 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Exodus chapter 7. I may have said 12. I'm sorry. Exodus chapter number 7, verses 1 through 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies, 
and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have stretched forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. That's a powerful verse right there. And Moses was fourscore years old. He's a part of Young at Heart too. And Aaron was fourscore and three, 83. So if you're wondering what fourscore is, King James, it's 80 years um, and 83 years when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Pharaoh, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Verse 12, for they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So today... I have a word of faith for you today. Not that I'm going to always choose a single word as the word of faith as I did last week, which was patience. But today, the word of faith for us is conflict. The word of faith is conflict. We're going to pray, and we need the help of God today. Amen. God of heaven, I humble myself. I'm humbled to be here to stand in front of our congregation of men and women that we Father, we, we are so grateful to know one another, to fellowship with one another, to worship in unison, in unity, and experience the presence of God collectively. And now, Father God, to give a listening ear to the work of the Holy Spirit, to a listening ear to the quickening of the Word of God. I pray, Lord, today. I pray that preaching will come easy in this house today. I pray the hearts of the people to be prepared to receive the engrafted Word. The things that you have given me in the holy place, God, I pray that I will have the ability, the supernatural ability to speak the word of faith to the people. They'll walk out of here today with a greater understanding of the word of faith conflict. God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, if you will, amen and amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much. If it's all right with you, as I do oftentimes, I... Do my very best to go back and bring you on a little bit of a journey. That little bit of that journey is, is, uh, is a review. So because each week I'm doing my very, very best to layer the, the, the present upon the previous. When I began this journey, obviously, I did my very best to go into the scriptures to define what faith is. It's the word of faith. It's near us. We hear the word. We receive the word. Uh, we believe the word. We keep the word. We act upon the word. And we trust God that God will honor his word. Amen? And there's so many, I, I shared with you, I don't necessarily believe that there's one particular passage of Scripture, or definition of faith, but actually there's a, uh, many places of Scripture that we can look at where we can say, well, that helps me to see what really faith is. 
Obviously, it is the famous definition in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are unseen. It is the thing that is uh, work in my heart and life by the work of the Holy Spirit concerning something that I am not yet in possession of. The evidence of my belief system is my faith. And uh, I, I, I did bring you, on, especially the first day, uh, to the book of Romans, which Romans was looking back to Genesis. That's why the first message was called Back to the Beginning, where, where, where Abraham, the scripture plainly says that Abraham staggered not in unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, believing that what God had promised, he was able to perform. I think that's a quick snapshot of faith. Faith is when we honor the word of faith, we receive it, we believe it, and we act upon it. Are you out there today? And then certainly last week, uh, I felt like it was important that I brought in something that's very, very important in the process of faith, growing in your heart and life and receiving of the fullness of what God has for you is patience. <laughs> Y'all weren't shouting me down last week either, but that's all right. And so patience is simply more than just waiting, right? It is being steadfast, immovable. It is not fluctuating to the times and seasons. It's not fluctuating to the things that are happening around you. As a matter of fact, if you look at what it was said of Abraham, he considered not his own body now dead. He moved past the natural and as he had faith and patience. And so concerning faith, we've noted that Christ reproves little faith and he commends great faith, right? Um, faith is also more than receiving, but as we know and what we've been knowing and, and noting is it's doing. It's more than just receiving. It's not just you receiving your blessing, receiving your healing, receiving this favor of God. But no, it is having heard the word, and the word includes direction, and you begin to obey. It takes faith to do that. So the journey, again, for, for us began with Abraham, but we quickly brought you, I brought you to the burning bush, Moses at the burning bush. And certainly from there, Israel or the Hebrews uh, were in the womb of Egypt, and from there, Moses had heard while in Midian the word of faith that he brought to the people. The people wavered, but I taught you again about patience, that we through patience and comfort have to, uh, it's then that we receive the fullness of the word of God. So I want to just go ahead and just tell you that what I've been doing with this text of scripture, I've been simply trying to let this text envelop me and also uh, that, that I could just get inside the very best of my ability to be able to see and to ponder and to look at the context of what we've been studying here in the book of Exodus as we're, as we're using it to give us not just a balance of faith, but to give us a greater understanding of faith and, and to see it in the, not only in the life of Moses, but also to see some in the lens of the people. Tragically, the people are more prone to unbelief. They fall into unbelief. But we get to see this, and, and we get to see this again through the lens of Moses. And that's where I'm at just very, very quickly. If you remember, I did take us to the very first Word of Faith conference that had ever been when Moses was returned from the Midian Desert where he has been for 40 years after having been driven to Midian because of the contention between two Hebrew brothers, who, two Hebrew men, when Moses, the, the Egyptian prince, who now has a divine revelation that he is Actually, a Hebrew has gone and done his very best to keep the men from harming one another uh, because they make an accusation against him. As you know the story, he was driven to Midian. Midian, for many miles, an 8 to 10 to 12 day journey through parts of a desert land where he then hides in obscurity for 40 years. 
During that time period, we don't really know anything about Moses. We don't know, did he forget who he was? Did he forget his training? Did you know in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that Moses was trained and learned in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was a mighty man of both speech and wisdom. But by the time we see him on the backside of the Midian Desert, he's slow of tongue. He's lost his confidence to stand before men. But it's here as the burn, as the bush did burn, that he heard the word of faith. And he received courage. He received faith to go forward. And he began to advance. And so as I've noted to you, the very first word of faith conference seemed to be a success. Seemed to be a success because he showed the signs and wonders of casting down the, the rod and, casting, and, and putting his hand in the cloak and seeing the, the supernatural power of God. The Bible plainly says at the end of the fifth chapter there that the people believed. They bowed their head in reverence to to what was happening, that God, the God of Abraham, had heard their cry. And so there was an anticipation that was taking place. But remember, and this is what I shared with you last week, that when Moses and Aaron then went in to Pharaoh and spoke the word of faith to Pharaoh, I don't know if they were surprised because God had forewarned Moses that Pharaoh would not respond the way that he had hoped he would initially but it still seemed like it overwhelmed Moses because, as I told you last week, Moses spoke to the mountain, but the mountain didn't move. And that's an awkward and a difficult and a trying place to be. Are you out there today? And so we saw everything crumble quickly, disintegrate. The Word of Faith conference seemed like it was years ago by now. Because the people received the anguish of additional labor. Not only now would they be making the, the, brook, the, the bricks in the kiln, but they also had to gather the straw. And so at the end of everything, the enemy had so twisted where now they're not even seeing Pharaoh as their enemy or the Egyptian uh, taskmasters. They're seeing Moses, the man that's brought them the word of faith, is now the one that they perceive as bringing the present plight upon them. It's a difficult place. But Moses then goes to God in prayer, and he's honest. And I tell you, I can't tell you enough about being transparent before God in prayer. Because I know how we Christians are, especially Word of Faith people and, and Pentecostals. We, we, like to, we like to always be saying something here and there, but there's oftentimes some weakness inside of us. And I want to tell you this. I want to keep coming back to this. The Word of Faith does not originate in your mouth. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. It originates in your heart. You can be saying something all the time, but if you're not believing it in your heart, then you're not, it's not the word of faith. For the word of faith is in, first in your heart and then in your mouth. And so when you pray, be honest with God. Confess if there's sin, the sin of unbelief. Moses just said, Lord, I, from the time I got here, from the time I started preaching to this people, you haven't delivered anybody. And matter of fact, now things have gone from bad to worse. And so, But I assured you because I read the text of Scripture there to us, that God didn't change. I'll tell you one thing I want you to know that about God. Your plight, your present plight does not change God. Right? Does it change the Lord? He's the Lord and he changeth not, the scripture says. And what the Lord did was he reaffirmed Moses with the word of faith. He gave him the same word they had given him on the backside of the Midian Desert. And I'll tell you what, that's what he'll do for us as well. Right? That's why when we come to the Lord, he just simply reiterates what he's already spoken, which is the word that's already gone forth out of his mouth. It's up to us to receive it and believe it. Come on. And so with that, just very, very quickly, so now Moses, Moses has gained a little bit of a spiritual charge, and he goes and he preaches to the people one more time, and this time the people are like, the Word of Faith Conference is not just, barely, it just barely attended this time, and in the ones that came, they, they're like, those are vain words. And, and so there wasn't room to even take up an offering in that moment of time. But Moses now, though, 
has to do something that you know there's a sense of dread inside of him. He has to go back to Pharaoh. I've been trying to wrap my heart around the faith that it took for Moses to go back into Pharaoh's court. The last time he was there, things did not go well. And now he's seen the volatility of the people, how vulnerable they are, how quickly they can be up here and how quickly they can be right there. And not only how quickly can they, how they, they, can, they can turn on one another, they can turn on him, but he also understands Moses' heart is tender before God. He understands that his words and his actions can result in Pharaoh bringing even harsher, harsher task and, and a harsher way of life to the people, even possibly resulting in many of them dying. All of that is in the heart and in the mind of Moses when he walks in humbly to Pharaoh's court to repeat what he had said previously. The God of our fathers has appeared to us, and he commands you to let his people go, that they may go three days' journey in the wilderness and there sacrifice to him. And when this begins to unfold in the narrative here and the weight that it would take place, that we see this, that Moses, the faith of God that is working within him, as this begins to unfold, something begins to, to happen here that I want you to see for a moment of time. So Moses is standing in the presence of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is considered by the people of ancient Egypt as a living deity. By, by ascending to the throne... To the people of ancient, uh, uh, ancient Egypt, he is perceived as, as, as a God in human form, God in flesh. It is a part of their religious system, their structure. And now Moses is standing before him, having heard from God, where God said, I'm going to make you like a little G, God to Pharaoh, so he can understand the heaviness and the weight of this moment. You will whisper to Aaron, Aaron will say what I want you to say, which is the word of faith. And in the presence of Pharaoh, Pharaoh desires a miracle of some kind to validate any type of unction that Aaron is speaking from. And we see once again the signs and wonders of the rod. The rod is cast to the ground and it becomes a serpent. But there's something I want you to see. When that took place, can you imagine there would be a, 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 an awe in the, in the room that day as they see the, that, that they see this, this wooden, lifeless Inanimate object in the hand of Aaron being tossed on the ground and it became a serpent, most likely a cobra, and it would match probably that which was on the, uh, the crown of the Pharaoh. But nonetheless, we won't go into all of that. So what Pharaoh then now does is he calls for the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians, and they are able, they are successful in, in doing what Moses has done, and they cast a rod on the ground, at least three, it's mentioned right here, every man is rod, and what doesn't say three, but there are three categories categories here, wise men, sorcerers, and magicians. They cast them down, and they become serpents, but then Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And so there's something I want to talk to you about today, 
something that I want you to begin to see. That when you look at this particular text, that, that, there, that there is something that has taken place in those verses right there, verses 10 and 11 and 12, that I think is often overlooked. What we have here is we have a conflict that's taking place. It's a conflict of faith. The conflict is this. You have competing and you have opposing religious views. You have competing ideologies. You have, con- you have competing theologies, if you will, between the people groups that are gathered there. Let me just go a little bit farther in this. If you know anything at all about Egyptian religion, you know that they worshiped a pantheon of gods. And when you actually begin to study uh, just a little bit, as I have, which is just gleaning the surface of it, that the commentaries will tell you that they don't know a, a quite as much about a, a, some of the, the Egyptian religions because the nation as a whole didn't worship just one deity. There were so many. And many times they were tied to small communities, clannish, if they would, from this community to that community. And we are a little bit more familiar with ten that the judgments of, of Egypt seem to be being pronounced on those gods and deities that they worshipped. But the point that I'm wanting you to see in that moment of time when these two humble Hebrew men are standing in the court of Pharaoh, they are opposing They're opposing a deeply held religious belief system by the entirety of the nation. That the nation itself supports that Pharaoh is a living deity. The nation itself worships the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, cats, dogs, cattle. They worship all of these animals and and, and individuals as deities. And yet here are two figures that are saying that there's just but really one God, the God of the Hebrews, who has met with us, and he's put a demand upon us, and we want you to know we have to obey God. It's a conflict. It's more than just a conflict of faith, but it is a conflict of faiths, if you will. And so on the surface, when you look at this, it almost seems like a fairy tale legend, wizards and warlocks, but in actually In actuality, this is something much deeper, much deeper. This is a spiritual conflict of magicians and wise men and sorcerers. And I could have used any other word, but for whatever reason, when I prayed conflict, it's what got in my spirit and I couldn't get away from it. And because it's more than just a contest that we would see that's played out on the field as when you think about, you know, a, a contest like an athletic contest. But, but it's more than this. This is, a, this is a spiritual conflict. These are things that are coming together. The magicians and the wise men and the sorcerers represent the faith, the lifestyle, the polyistic worship of the plurality of gods of the Egyptians, their hearts and their minds. The people have been seduced into idolatry, and they're, it's firmly entrenched into their theology and their way of life. It's a clash of deities, a clash of religious leaders, a clash of worldviews. The heart of the people could be swayed to follow the outcome. The heart of the people could be swayed to follow the outcome. And if you're being honest today, just being honest with yourself, this thing has been repeated time and time again as you look back to history. If we're being honest with ourselves from the history of the world even unto modern times, that's the conflict of the ages. The conflict of the ages is a conflict of faiths. It's a conflict of faith. And so every person's given the measure of faith. Every person's given the capacity to believe, if you will. Idolatrous practices have plagued the sons of Adam since Adam and Eve were driven from the garden uh, in the book of Genesis. And the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of men and women from that day until this present day in which we live. 
Idolatry, whether Egyptian or Canaanite, has typically a complete structure of religious belief, and as did the Egyptians. It's a complete structure of theology. It's a systematic, if it was. They had temples, and they had devotion. They had objects. They had a, a process of worship. They had priests and priestesses. They had uh, creeds, and, and they had rules and, and precepts and principles and regulations. It affected what they believed as Egyptians. It affected how they lived. It affected uh, who they married. It affected uh, their sensuality. It, infect, it affected their, their interaction with other people, and it was all directly the influence uh, of their devotion to their religion, and nothing has changed. Oh, we've changed the title of it a little bit today. But there are moments here when you see in Scripture and throughout Scripture where there seems to be a clash, a conflict, if you will, almost like two symbols coming together and the resounding sound can be heard. When people of opposing views meet, and that was the heaviness of that moment when Aaron and Pharaoh, this is not a fairy tale, church family. These were two men that walked into the presence of the most powerful man in the earth and said, the God of our fathers has demanded that you allow us to worship him in the way that he has required us to. The standoff between Moses and Aaron and the magicians is a conflict of faith. And that weight of this conflict just speaks to my heart today. I'm going somewhere. So I want you to see that for a moment. I've been praying about this. I'm going to take you somewhere in just a moment of time that it's going to, I think it's going to come together for you. Faith. What is faith? Faith is believing. Faith is receiving. Faith is doing. Come on. It's doing. Sometimes faith is what you need when you're sick in your body and you need a supernatural touch from God. Amen. Sometimes faith is that moment when you're without employment and you're just saying, you know, I need the Lord to provide for me either direction or the favor when I go. I prayed for somebody and prayed with someone this week as they had put in an application and would trust the Lord for his leading and blessing. And that's what faith, that's what we should do. Amen. We're just simply getting up every day. Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles of this world, the nations of this world search for all things, but we just put our trust in God who loves us and he's going to keep it. He's going to take care of us. Amen. And so that's, but, but it takes faith to do that, right? So that's, that's faith. But faith is also more than just receiving favor and blessing and prosperity and grace. Favor is having, let me tell you what faith is. Faith is having the courage to do things at times you just don't want to do. Faith is just things that you say, man, this is against all of the entire system of the way of life that's going on around me, but God is calling me to do it. I want you to know, I don't know if there was any greater exhibit of faith than when Moses, as an 80-year-old man with his brother who's 83 years old, he doesn't have an armed guard, he doesn't have soldiers at either side, he doesn't have an army behind him with shields and with spears and with chariots that are prepared to fight against Egypt, but when he walks into the palace of the Egyptian Pharaoh, and puts a demand on him, the demand of the word of faith. Let me tell you, every step was a faith. 
faith-filled step, every moment in the time of silence, in the time when people whispered in the, in the corner as Moses and Aaron walked and stood before the Egyptian Pharaoh. I want you to know today, church family, I feel something in my heart. I feel like there's something that's taking place in the generation in which we live that I don't know if we're really understanding the full measure of it. I think what we're seeing come to head in the United States and beyond is a conflict of faiths that's beginning to come forward. And I'm telling you, I want to take you somewhere today. I want to take you to a text of Scripture that I think will help you understand. Don't forget where we've been because we're going to be there again to conclude. But I want to go somewhere that's a very familiar passage of Scripture to me. I love to preach from it because it stirs my heart every time that I read it and ponder it and think about it. And I want you to go there with me if you will. This is from the Apostle Paul's pen and he's writing to Timothy who is his son in the faith. He is the bishop of Ephesus. He's affecting others. He's already told Timothy the faith that you have seen in me. He said, commit that to the things uh, to others who shall teach others also. And that baton of faith uh, and that willingness to, to, to confront and that willingness to, to endure conflict uh, has been passed uh, from generation to generation. And Paul here arrives at a particular passage, a verse of or a, a few verses that I think that if you'll see this, if you won't let go of Exodus and you'll put in the other hand this in Timothy I think it's going to come and it's going to become something that's very vivid for you here today if you will the first verse of the third chapter reads like this we're going to journey down through this first this third chapter in the last days the word the two words there last days is sometimes is often the most overused phrase in the Pentecostal charismatic movement but here's the reality of it. Paul, to one degree, the context perceives some measure of it in his generation. There will come, as we know, a terminal generation. I don't know if we are that terminal generation. But all I know is the text fits for the generation in which we're living. Because he says dangerous times are going to come. And then he describes... It was descriptive of people of Paul's generation. It's descriptive of people of our generation. Because if we're really looking at it in the right context, you'll see that it has been consistent for many generations. It will have an apex moment immediately prior to the return of Christ. And that could be our generation. I'm even going back beyond that. I want to see what he's describing. describing. He's describing a generation where men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemers. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful and they're unholy. They're without natural affection. They're truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Are you out there today? Traitors, he said. Heady, high-minded. And then he even shifts. He says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 
He seems to shift from what when we see this, we see this as people that don't know God. We see this as people almost like Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians when he spoke about the Gentiles which know not God. But then he begins to shift almost to those that, that maybe at least have some measure of understanding with some type of religious structure, a cloak, a covering, even perhaps under Judaism, even perhaps under Christianity. They have a form of godliness. They look like it on the outside. They've got the wristbands. They've got the t-shirt. They're, they're all of those things. Uh, but they're denied the true power of the gospel it's a form of godliness it looks good on the outside but it's not humbling themselves before the lord it's not conforming to the will of god it's not just professing faith in christ it is believing in your heart and submitting to him as lord in your life are you out there that's the gospel and then he says this he said for of this sort for of this sort are they, they creep into houses and they lead captive silly women laden with sins. They're led away with divers lusts. So notice this, ever learning. Think about the generation in which we live. Ever learning and never able to come to the acknowledgement of the truth. We live in the generation of artificial intelligence. We live in the generation where information is at your fingertips. We live in the generation where men and women have spent a lifetime in scholastic environments only to walk away and conclude that there is no God. Ever learning and yet not able to come to the acknowledgement of the truth. But I brought you all through that to bring you to this moment to show you what Paul used as an example to embolden him to confront and to bring a conflict of faith to the people of his generation. I'm telling you, we need the faith of Moses and we need the faith of Aaron in this room today because you and I are going to have to stand up in the days ahead and believe that God has called us to speak the word of faith, sometimes even on deaf and ears, as a witness for the things to come. And so now the eighth verse, the apostle is looking back to the text that you just read. And he said, as Janice and Jambres, he gives us the name because they're mentioned in Jewish writings as the Egyptian magicians that led the group of wise men and magicians and soothsayers or sorcerers that had conjured up the capacity to take an inanimate object and see it come to life. He said, as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Let me just say about faith for just a moment of time, concerning faith. There's only one true faith. We talk a lot about people of faith, people of faith, all these faiths, all these religions. And that's exactly right. There are all kinds of religions. There always has been since, again, man was driven eastward out of the garden. But let me tell you, there's only one true faith. There's one, there's one God and there's one faith. That faith is through the person of Jesus Christ, right? That we would not know God unless he was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, right? That's the one true faith that the apostles received from Christ and that they have passed and entrusted to us. And that's why later in the book of Jude, the Bible exhorts us that we have to earnestly contend. We have to earnestly contend. Church is not always about come by y'all, peaceful ceremonies. It's about us being engaged in the culture in which we live and knowing that God has called us to be a bright and a shining light even during dangerous times. And it's going to take faith to do so. And so as I begin to think about this and ponder it, each time you and I fully trust 
and obey God, we do so in conflict with the reprobate faith of the culture that's been deceived by devils. The journey of faith that you and I are on and desire to learn and grow in and that we're believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouth is far more than to gain a blessing from God or to gain prosperity, but it is for you and I, it is for you and I to stand up and be who God's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. It is a faith that can withstand lies. It's a faith that has to be able to withstand witchcraft. It's a faith that has to be able to withstand soothsaying. It's a faith that has to be able to withstand religious opposition. It's a faith that has to be able to withstand falsehoods and political manipulations. Are you out there today? That's the faith that we're going to have to have in the generation in which we live. It's not all about us just shouting in church. It's about us having an anointing on our life, a call from God to be in the midst and be engaged in the culture and say that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are a city set on a hill and we cannot be hid. We are the bright and the shining light reflecting the love of God to a darkened world and we are unashamed in the truth of the gospel that's the faith that we are in pursuit of that's the faith that was in the heart of Moses when he walked into the palace knowing that he had the blood of his Hebrew brothers in his hands and yet he had the courage to obey the word of faith are you out there today let me tell you today there's a lot going on I'm about to (laughs) Oh, I was shot that guy almost seeing earlier, but I'm about to now, really. This verse of Scripture just weighs on me. It just, I see it. I just see it. Paul said that when we confront them, he said there's going to be a clash. He said there's going to be a proceed no further. It's going to be, their folly is going to be manifest unto all men as there was also. And, and, and I'll go in just a moment here and, and, and tell you a little bit about Paul for just a moment. I'm going to take you to one particular place that I really think is going to have, that's going to help you. But I want you to know about the, the, the situation. You say, Pastor, make this current for me. Bring this into, into, into my world for just a moment. Listen, when you have the courage to stand in faith... When you have the courage in this generation to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have the courage to believe that God the Father, the one true God, revealed himself in the Son, Jesus Christ, and that salvation is in no other, I'm telling you that was the faith of Moses and Aaron in the court of Pharaoh. It was just the same. Pharaoh was being worshipped as a living entity, but Moses and Aaron were standing there representing the one true God, God Yahweh, that appeared into Abraham and made a covenant with him, and he was standing there representing that moment of time. And when you in a generation where we are, we were encouraged and, and everybody can have their own deity and you can shape and form any deity that you want and you can worship as long as it's just not offensive to somebody else, but when you have the courage to stand up and say, listen, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to say this, to hurt your feelings, but I came along to tell you that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as the son of the living God, as the one that paid the penalty for your sin, then you're going to stand before God in eternity without the blood atonement and the covering for your transgression, and yes, you will be lost eternally. That's the same faith that Moses had when he walked into the court of Pharaoh. When you have the courage To reject the lies of evolution. I tell you what, you can think that you 
evolved from uh, whatever, if you want to. I don't know about you, but I was made in the likeness and the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, created uh, out of the heart and mind of the infinite God. And so when you have the courage, even in the face of those who are ever learning and yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth and say, I reject that because I know I was made in the likeness and the image of God, then you've got the faith of Moses in that moment of time. Let me tell you, church family, when you have the courage today, when you have the courage to reject the lies of the, about this plurality of genders other than male and female. Are you out there today that you're having and you are showing the same courage? When you have the courage to be able to say that I'm going to believe the scriptures in the beginning, God made them male and female, right? When you stand for traditional marriage, then you're standing in the courage of Moses and Aaron. When you have the faith to stand against the bloodletting of abortion and say that life begins in the womb. Are you out there today? How do we know that? Because even before, the Bible says through the prophet Jeremiah, before I called you and sanctified, before I even, in your mother's womb, I'd already called you to be a prophet. Right? I've showed you before that the same Greek word in the New Testament for, for, for child is the same Greek word that was used to speak of the unborn child. Are you out there today? And so when you have the courage to reject the, 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 this ideology and to stand for life, you're standing on the word of faith. It's as if in that moment of time you are casting down the serpent on the crown of the Egyptian king. And I'm telling you what you're doing, you're fighting a good fight of faith. That's what you're doing. Are you out there today? I feel Jesus. I felt him in the worship just like you. But I'll tell you what, it's not just so that we can just dance around in church. It's so that we can raise up a generation of men and women that are firmly convinced in faith and doctrine and they're willing to put their whole life on the line and to say, for this end I was born, for this moment I have arrived. I will not sit back in silence and allow the enemy, the Pharaoh, the idolatry to voice its opinion while I sit silent. Silent is consent. I want you to know today God is calling us out of the Midian desert with a boldness and an authority. Maybe we haven't learned everything in the school of Egypt, but I want you to know this. As long as I've been in the burning bush in the presence of Almighty God, as long as i got a word of faith, having heard His word, it'll give me the courage to stand in the hour of conflict that we have not even yet seen fully manifest itself in our generation. Jandis and Jambres withstood Moses. Paul had other moments where there was conflict. Did you know his very first missionary journey was on the island of Cyprus? He's preaching the gospel. The deputy, the Roman deputy, is about to be converted, and a Jewish soothsayer comes out, a Jewish soothsayer, and tries to divert him withstands the teachings of, of Paul. And I'll tell you what Paul said. Paul listened to it for a while, and Paul said, had enough. I don't know about you. I'm getting to that place. In my life, so I say, enough is enough. We need a divine anointing from God. You read the text. Before it was all over, they led that sorcerer out blind. He could no longer see. He received a temporary judgment at the hand of God. And Moses ended up leading the, or excuse me, Paul ended up leading the deputy to faith in the Lord. So when, when Paul is writing this, Paul is writing this. It was He's not just borrowing it from the ancient history. He's experienced it. He's experienced the trauma of conflict. 
I want you to know, I don't necessarily know if we fully have as of yet. So let's go a little bit farther to finish this up here today. Because I've actually not even got to the good stuff just yet. I reprove myself every week for preaching so long. I do. And I, and, I, and I chasten myself. And then every week I come and I repeat it over and over again. But you only give me this one moment, so I've got to take advantage of it. But look what Paul said. Paul said it's going to take courage, just as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses. He said they're going to be men of corrupt minds. They're reprobate concerning the faith. There's going to be a conflict. But he said, but he said, you look at my life. Paul's saying, don't, I'm not just telling you to do something I haven't done. He said, look at my doctrine. Look at my manner of life. Look at my purpose. Look at my faith. Are you out there? And then look at my long-suffering. Look at my charity and look at my patience. He had to learn to trust God. And he said this, persecutions and afflictions. And Paul endured many. He said, they came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And he said, well, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Right? And that's a good word right there. That's a word of faith for every one of us. But listen to this. You don't hear this typically at most a word of faith conferences preached in America. Yea, but all that are going to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. That doesn't get you an offering at a Word of Faith conference, but that's just the reality of the generation in which we live. If you and I determine to live godly, if we determine to walk consistent with values and principles and precepts of the revealed Word of God, we are going to suffer persecution. You're going to be falsely accused, ridiculed. Things are, people are going to say things about you, but you have to be firmly positioned in your faith to be able to withstand Look what Paul said. Verse 13. Evil men, if you think it's getting better, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Well, I'm going to go ahead. (laughs) In our generation, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. How... In our generation, things have gone, you know, I've told you this before, and I'm, I'm on my soapbox today. Those of you who don't know, I tell you this. I'm going to tell you, I'm in my black robe regiment again today. That's just who I am. It's a part of the call of God that's on my life. I'm unashamed for preaching with a little bit of a political edge or angle because our political views are our religious views. I don't care what you say. You can say separate politics from religion. You cannot do it. It's a, your politics are a result of your religious views. Just like when Moses was standing and looking at Janice and Jambres, they're minds had been corrupted by the religion of their day and Moses confronted them with the religion that he had gained at the burning bush when God met him 40 years earlier and nothing has changed from that generation to ours and so you say pastor Brown's just a few more verses of scripture we got school about to start this week we got kids that are going back to school campuses and college campuses and and let me tell you evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse and when you read that in the King James waxing worse and worse it is not talking about pulling unwanted hair off of your face it's about growing worse and worse that's the generation but we're not intimidated by it if we're walking in faith We believe that to this end we were born. God called us for this purpose. That's why you're there. It's uncomfortable. There's heated arguments at times. There's times. We we have made Christianity the most passive of all religions. We have made Jesus out to be this, you know, he's just the shepherd. He's got the stick and he's carrying the little lamb. And that's all. He's just so meek and mild. Let me tell you, Jesus confronted. I'm going to show you in a moment. He confronted the false religions of his day and he did it unflinchingly. To be Christ-like is to carry on his mission. And so in this passage of Scripture, Paul is telling Timothy, notice this, 
I love this. i got to share this with you. If you say, Pastor, where are you at in your notes? Please tell me there's not six more pages. No, I'm in the latter half of the sixth page, and there's only seven. Are you out there? But I have a lot of preaching locked up inside me that's not on the page. But nonetheless, so let, let, let me just show you with you. He said this in the 14th verse. How are you going to be able to withstand? How are you going to have conflict and not succumb to it? How are you going to avoid being a, a part of the seduction of the age in which we live? Paul said you better continue in the things that you have learned. And you have been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, let's read this. We've got to read this slowly. We're going to catch it. I'm going to read it in context, and I'm going to break it down for you. And Paul then tells Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want to remind you of your childhood. I want to remind you of when you were taught the Holy Scriptures. I want to remind you of the time that you sat back in Sister Cossie Carr's Sunday school classroom, and they put out the little cutouts of Moses and Aaron in the court of Pharaoh on the screen, on the little green cloth and they had the you know that was the generation before we had all the electronics where we can put the video up there uh, but but in those days they had to have the little cutout there's little Moses those little Aaron he's put on the green screen and then there's Pharaoh and Moses and they are you out there Paul is reminding Timothy remember when you were taught remember when you were brought up when you learned the holy scriptures who was Timothy I'll tell you in just a moment which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus he goes on to say all Scripture, say that with me, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know why I believe the word of faith today? I believe the word of faith because of the Scriptures. Right, the scriptures, that's from whence it's taken, the word of faith. It is a rhema word of faith taken from the logos of God. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the spirit of God quickens the word of faith in your heart and your mind. That is the word of faith which we believe. And Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy's father was a Gentile, but his grandmother and his mother was of Jewish origin. And he said, remember, Timothy, you were taught the scriptures. You were taught the narratives. You know the word of God. I want you to know today that if you're going to be able to endure in the generation in which we live today, you better know the word of God you better hide it in your heart you better read it and meditate on it you better listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit you better be in that Sunday school class that Jace was talking about Paul said you know my doctrine my way of life if you want the faith that can endure you better get the scriptures in your heart and in your mouth that is the word of faith you better read it you better hear it and you better believe it meditate upon it and then act upon it and be faithful to it but I love this. It's often overlooked. That's why I'm here, to help you to see it a little bit closer. He said, continue in the things which you have learned and you have been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned. And I'm going to take you back to this place for just a moment of time. You say, Pastor Brown, the most criticized and scrutinized book in all the world today has been from the Genesis, and that's the Word of God. How do we put our faith, and why do we put our faith? And where is this or, the, the place of origin where we have the Scripture? Did you know that word script there simply means holy writ? It's graphe in the, in the Greek, and it means the scribe. And so if the narrative, as we get farther into the narrative, when Paul is telling Timothy, he said, I want you to be reminded of the beginning of holy writ. Go back to the Midian Desert. Go back to the burning bush. God had told Moses, he said, Moses, when you bring them out, you're going to bring them to the same mountain you're standing on right here. And he said, it's from there. And on that mountain, they're going to worship me. And there, let me tell you this, there, God's presence would come down. Anybody remember that? Does anybody remember what we call the Ten Commandments? 
The Ten Commandments written and engraven where? On stones. But were they scribed by the hand of Moses? Did Moses chisel, thou shalt worship the one true God? Did Moses chisel, thou shalt not commit adultery? Moses did not chisel. Moses carried the tablet on the mountain, and the finger of God wrote on the tablet. And then God spoke it in the ears of the people so that it would be validated that what he spoke was written and what he was written had been spoken. And it's called the word of Almighty God. And you and I stand in a wicked and an adulterous generation and we dare to lift our voices up and we stand for truth because we believe in the word of Almighty God. We know from whence it came. And it's been handed precariously to us. It's just what are we going to do about it? And what are we going to do with it? What about when these teenagers go to college? We can keep them in a little bit of a safe setting on the public schools to a degree in rural America. You cannot in urban America. That's why you live in rural America. You're not just here for the lake. Come on now. You're here because you moved into a rural community where some of the values that you see are still important to people. And because of the teachers that we have prayed for year after year, not that it's us by praying for them, simply saying we recognize that they had conviction and calling and they went on the campus to be a bright and shining light. We can have some measure, some measure, but even that has been, is coming under pressure. And there's going to come a day when those teachers themselves are going to have to have the courage to stand up and to speak to the Pharaoh at the Department of Education at some point in time through either rejecting some of the things that are coming down the pike or, be, or refusing to teach some of the things that they are being mandated to teach. They're going to have to have their Pharaoh moment too. But what's going to happen when we send these teenagers that are now 19 years old to secular college campuses and they don't know the word? Brothers and sisters, you better get that word inside of you because it's a conflict and it's only getting worse. That's what Paul said. But that's what God's doing in your heart and life. Let me tell you and show you this in conclusion. Oh, I can't say I preach myself happy, but I am releasing myself of the burden that God put on my heart. Moses and Aaron in the court of the king with faith to demand the right to worship the one true God. And where do you find yourself 3,000 years later in the same place? But do you have the faith to stand for what you believe. Let me tell you about Jesus for a moment. This is, Pastor Brown, can, can, I, can I somehow put it all together? I know sometimes um, I like to cook at my house. I, I shared with the men. I'm closing today right now. But in leaving yesterday at the men's breakfast, I, had, I, I represented our church family, Sherry and I did, at a dedication of Brother uh, Holyfield's prison chaplain, uh, the house that was going to be used for their ministry headquarters and praying part of the dedication. I had to leave early. And I shared with them a long-held... My uncle said it was in the Bible. I've been searching for it. I haven't found it yet. But it's where it says, He that cooketh doth not cleaneth. <laughs> it's a principle I've tried to live by for many years. I shared it later in the afternoon. And it was a lady that heard it, a lady from our church. I heard it. And she said, Oh, I like that. But I said, No, you have to listen closely. He that cooketh. 
that's not clean. And so I'm saying all that to say, cooking a lot does not necessarily mean that I cleaned a lot. But in cooking, sometimes, Sherry, I heard that's the best amen I got all day. Come from the front row and a lady in brown. Sometimes, sometimes we just take, and, and, and it doesn't have much structure to it, but, but when it comes out at the end, it's pretty good. That's the way my sermon prep is sometimes. It's the way I hope for it, anyhow. And I come right here to this moment. Now, this is the moment I want you to see. To, to say, but, so I, to say, I understand Pharaoh and Aaron, but, but, but what about my generation? Well, we're gonna get, uh, there's still a little bit left that I have to touch on real quickly. But then you have Jesus, and the way we paint Jesus. We paint Jesus in such a this, this, this way that we have, we've taken any sense of his true convictions out. Jesus was asked a question by the religious leaders of his days, the, Sa- the Sadducees. And I'm going to tell you that his first uh, rebuttal here, his first rebuttal was this. Here's how you err. Here's what he said. He said, you err because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. That's what he said. So, so hold that. Y'all hold with me real quickly. You hold that and don't forget it. He said, you, you're in error because you have a cloak, a religion, but you don't know the scriptures. And that's where you'll be if you're not careful. You won't, you'll, you'll be, people will confront your faith and you won't be able to answer it. The question posed to him was by the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the leading religious order of the day, the smaller group of the Sanhedrin, but, but, but the more influential than the Pharisees, and they did not believe in the resurrection. And they asked Jesus a simple parable. They said, okay, you that believe in the resurrection said this. He said, here's a brother. He got married. He had a, had a wife. He said, but the brother died. And then, you know, the law says that, that, he's to marry, that the woman's to marry the brother. He says, well, there were seven brothers, and each one of them died. I don't know, but I've been checking what was in the suit, but we won't even go there. But nonetheless, each one of them died. And he said, they put the question to Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were trying to catch him in his words. And they said, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? But here's what he said. He said, here's where you are in error. He said, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And that's going to be repeated in us if we're not careful. If we don't get this down inside of us. But let me tell you what what Jesus did. Jesus did exactly what I'm doing here today. He said, did you never read what happened at the burning bush when Moses stood in the presence of Almighty God and he heard the word of faith. The word of faith to Moses has not changed. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. He is not, Jesus said, the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Now why would I say all that to you? I'm telling you today, Jesus confronted the opposition, it was a spiritual conflict in his generation, and he went back to the exodus with Moses standing at a burning bush. And that's what I've been doing for three weeks now, to help prepare you to be who God's called you to be. All scriptures God bring. All that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's a, Lord, help me to do this. I feel like, I really feel like I should. It's kind of out of context, but I just feel like I should. Priests and priestesses, as I've told you before, are not always just wearing religious cloaks. Priests and priestesses are often musicians, entertainers, 
because they are teaching their religious belief. Athletes, political activists, you can, I tell you, they're, no more, they're the same as the wise men, the astrologers, and the magicians that stood in front of Moses that day. That's exactly what it is. I can, I can tell you, in your mind, when you see Taylor Swift, you say, oh, my gosh, a, a music idol. Uh, I want to take my daughters to a concert. See, I see, a, 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 I see a, a, a priestess for the religion of liberalism. That's what I see. That's what I see. I don't know what you see. That's what I see. I see Rihanna, I see the same thing. I wonder if, if our daughters know anybody called Riley Gaines. Have, have you that's got teenage daughters said, let me tell you about Riley Gaines. I know you bought the CD for Taylor Swift for your daughters, but did you tell her about Riley Gaines, who was a swimmer at the University of Kentucky and was forced to be in the locker room with a male during the national championships named Will Thomas, who's going around under the name of Leah Thomas, who possessed full male genitalia in the locker room with the females. And she was forced to stand on the same platform where they celebrated that they tied for fifth place in the national championships in the 200-meter swim. And they had one trophy, and they said, let Leah hold it because it would look better. And... After she graduated, because if she had said anything at all during the championships at all, she would have been immediately disqualified by this thing that we call the National Collegiate Association of America, the NCAA. She had been immediately disqualified for being homophobic and transphobic. But now she's going around the United States fighting for the rights of young girls to not have to compete against men. Are you hearing me today? And she is quickly becoming the most hated woman in America are you out there today? Are you listening to me? And here's when she goes to, to, to go before, uh, oftentimes in the governors that are signing to protect women's rights, um, that, that she's met with opposition. She's spat upon. Water bottles have been thrown. She's been captured and held in ransom for a period of time. Objects are thrown at them. All kinds of obscenities and profanities are hurled at them, all because she's standing up to share how uncomfortable it was for her to be in that room with a male. And you can read that and you can say, oh, no, that's just political, Pastor Brown. I'm going to tell you what that was. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the same thing that happened when Moses and Aaron walked into Pharaoh's court. When Riley stood up and said, my time of competition is over, but there's another generation of girls that's coming after me, and I don't want them to have to endure what I had to endure. And she'll be the first to tell you that it is a battle of faith. It's a battle of faith. And we can only be insulated from it so far for so long until it's going to confront you one day. And you better know what you believe and why you believe it. Dale's joining me on the platform today. I know church isn't always just about clapping and shouting and jumping. But it is about being confronted by the truth of the word of God. I don't know about you today. I've said this before. Your worldview better be shaped by your word view. You better know what you believe, church family. We say your worldview better be shaped by your word view. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. Make up your mind. Evil men and seducers shall grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. 
Are you hearing me today? Those that are deceived are the ones that don't know the word. The word of faith that is near you, in your heart and in your mouth. That's the word of faith that we preach. I'm believing God. I love what Paul said. He said, but their folly's not going to proceed any further. Just like, Jan- if you would have read further in Janice and Jambres, let me tell you about Janice and Jambres for a moment. <laughs> Janice and Jambres, I don't know how they did it other than devils worked with them. Because they cast the rod down and became a snake too. It was a snake handling service there in Pharaoh's courtyard. All right, so they had, they had, they had a, a devil that could go with them that far. The next plague was blood. The Nile was turned to blood. They were successful in doing that as well. The next, place, the next plague was frogs. They were successful somehow. I don't know. They were successful in commanding frogs, and they obeyed them too. But then they hit that third plague, lice. They didn't have a lice anointing. <laughs> or a devil, I should say. They didn't have a lice a devil to empower them, and they couldn't. And they couldn't stop the lice. And they told Pharaoh, they said, this is the hand of God. What what, what, what did Paul say? Paul said, as Janus and Jambres, he said, as their folly was made known. It was confronted by the truth of God. It was a conflict, a clash. That's what's happening in America today. But it's not just in America. It's what's happening around the world. The last you see Janice and Jambres, the magicians, the boils got on them too. The plague of God, the judgment of God. If we'll be true to the word of God, the word of God won't fail. If we'll be true to it. If we'll say, God, I'm going to stand for the word. Stand for the word. You know what? I honestly believe. Darrell, if you don't mind playing with me, I will go ahead real quick. I honestly believe this. I believe to a degree the judgments on Egypt were of God's mercy to the Egyptians. If you look at it the right way, why would you say something like that? Because they were so entrenched in their religion, if God had not come against it to expose it for what it was, Did you know that later when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, I don't know who these people were, but it says this, a mixed multitude came out with them. Is it possible that because because of those judgments that some, some saw it and said, there's nothing but futility in all these gods that we've been worshiping, but there's a reality in the God of the Hebrews. Are you hearing me today? That's what can happen If we believe, if we'll stand true to the word of God, speak the truth in love, no matter what you're being accused of, hold fast to what you believe, right, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, then that testimony can make a difference, can make a difference in the lives of men and women. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to give a two-fold invitation here today. I know I preached a long time. I'm not even going to look at my clock. My watch. I won't even do it. I won't do it. 
if you're here today and you, and you hear this preaching and you think, oh my gosh, that, that preacher is just one of those homophobic, transphobic, uh, right-wing extremists, all those things, then you're already duped by the enemy that I've come along to try to expose to you. I'll tell you who I am today. I'm a preacher of the Word of God, of the Word. What I read to you, I read it from the Scriptures. From the Scriptures, we read the Word of God as it's warned us of perilous, dangerous times in the last days. And the only way we can be prepared for that is to know this word and get it in our heart and in our mouth and obey it and walk in it and trust in it. So if you're judging me in that context, I'm sorry, you don't know my heart. My heart is to believe that God's word will not return to him void. But if we'll speak it, believe it, live in it, it's gonna make a lasting impact. But in the midst of all of that, there could be somebody under the sound of my voice that my sermon may be way over here, but your heart is still being worked on by the Holy Spirit about genuine and authentic faith in Christ. In Christ, wise unto salvation, he said, through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. Do you have that faith? Do you have the one true faith today? I'm not Billy Graham up here today. I wish I was. I wish I could give an invitation like he did. But I can, I can stand in a similar fashion. I can stand in the shadow and say, salvation is in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. And you might be that person that's here today and say, Pastor, I've been around the church. I've even been in the church. But I don't even really know that I have authentic faith in Christ. What do I need to do? You need to believe. You need to hear and believe. If that's you, slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. There could be somebody today. God forbid I'll let you out of here. Is there anyone today? Number two today, very, very quickly. Let's see. If you would, slip your hand up here today very, very quickly. If you're involved in the school campus whatsoever today, whatsoever. If, you're, if you're an adult, let me see your hands today just real quickly on the school campus. A lot, of, a lot of people's hands have gone up today. I want us to pray for them today. Secondly, students, let me see your hands. You're going back to school. They're going to be walking the school grounds this afternoon. Let me see some hands real quick. So there's quite a few here today. Church family, sometimes that's Pharaoh's court. Are you out there? Sometimes that's Pharaoh's court. We want to pray for them especially today. And I'm not necessarily saying I need to anoint them with oil and come to every person. But I just think that in closing today, we need to stand for those. We need to pray for those who are going to be on the school campus. Come on, somebody, amen. Lastly today, lastly today, in this threefold little invitation here before I ask you to stand up for a closing prayer today. If you're here today, and you say, Pastor Brown, pray with me, pray with me. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part, whether it be in the political world, whether it be at my office or my job or the factory or the farm, wherever I'm at, wherever I'm at, wherever my life overlaps with people, I want to have the courage and the boldness to be strong in faith and be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. If that's you, slip your hand out today. Just say, Pastor, pray with me, pray with me. Well, that's the overwhelming majority of our church family. Let's do something in closing. I want to ask you to join me, if you would, 
Join me. Come to the front of the assembly right now, if you would. I'll look at the time. I know I'll let you out. It's 1208. It's not too bad. We're going to pray one closing prayer today, but we're going to mean it in our heart. We're going to mean it in our heart. We're not going to play games with God. We're not going to play games with God. I've been asking God in this journey. I've been saying to the Father, I said, Father, strip away whatever you've got to strip away. In my heart, in my life, whatever I have placed, my devotion, my affection on other things, my time, my energy, whatever it is, God, if you have to take it away from me, then let's take it away. Whatever you want me to lay down, let me lay it down so that I can be who God's called me to be. Whatever it is, whether it be in the sheepfold or out of the sheepfold, what if God calls one among us to be like uh, Moses and Aaron that stands before Pharaoh, that goes before uh, great men and women in political arenas? There could be some among us that do that. But what I want you to see is whenever you stand for truth, you are doing exactly what Moses and Aaron did. That's what I wanted you to see. You might not be as extreme. You might not be leading activism. But just simply standing for the word of God in love, in love, then you're being who God's called you to be. You heard the word. You received the word. You're believing the word. And you're living the word. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray for one another. First, let's begin with the school campus. Father, we are so grateful. I have watched from afar and sometimes near as men and women in our church and in other churches saw, they, they viewed teaching, coaching, serving on the campus, whatever it is. It's not just teachers, not just coaches. It's custodians, those working in the kitchen. It's those working with... Uh, children on the playground it's all apart no matter what position you're in do you see yourself as a bright and shining light i've stood in awe when men and women have shared with me i I, pastor this is my calling you know we talk about the call of god on preachers all the time but they see that as their calling they're putting that 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 uniform on they're putting that whistle on they're they're standing in that classroom they're they're standing in that kitchen all day to cook that food and they see it as their calling so they can be a bright and a shining light in what would otherwise be a dark place let me tell you if you were not on that public school campus and if you weren't there it would be a dark place if it weren't for the light that you're shining so father today i pray for everyone everyone that's serving in some capacity in that endeavor As schools start all over the United States, and not just in the public school, but we now have private school representation right here in our church. And then we have homeschool moms, homeschool moms that are homeschooling their children, God, and they need the favor of God. Their audience may be smaller, but they're they're attempting to influence those children with the love of God. I remind you today, Moses was nourished at the breast of his Hebrew mom, and it was from there that he gained the revelation of his faith that he's a Hebrew. So God, in Jesus' name, we bless them. Come on, church family. We bless them today. We pray for them today. For all those that are involved in being a witness, being in the education system, God, the process, ever learning, God, I pray that in their ever learning, they will come to the knowledge of the truth. That's good right there. That's good. I pray for them today. Now, Father, we pray for our students. We pray for all the students from pre-K to kindergarten all the way, Father God, to that senior that's taking one class and then getting to go to basketball practice later in the day. Whoever that is, God, we pray for everyone. I just pray, Father, that you'll put a grace upon those students. 
I pray for them to have a bright and a shining light in their heart. I pray, Father God, I know they get tired of me preaching and, and jumping and yelling and making a lot of noise and, and, and talking about things. And, but at the same time, God, I pray that it is marking them. It is the word of faith. It's stirring their heart. They're determined to be different, to live different, to walk different, talk different, act different, to be who you have called them to be, God, in Jesus' name. As they develop, as they grow, I pray over them. Remember what Paul said. He said, Timothy, from a child, you didn't just know geometry, you didn't just know computer, you didn't just know uh, American history, you know the scriptures, the scriptures. That's my prayer for these students today, God. They'll know the scriptures in Jesus' name. And lastly today, for every person that raised their hand that said, Pastor Brown, pray for me. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer. But every person that said, Pastor Brown, pray with me and for me, that wherever I'm at, I'll recognize that I've been called of God to be a bright and a shining light, to have the courage, to have the courage to speak forth the word of faith. Paul said it this way. He said, we believe and therefore we speak. That's you. You believe and therefore you speak. What do you speak? The word of faith. You speak the word of faith. I pray for every person that raised their hand all across this room, young and old alike, they raised their hand. They lifted their hand high, male and female, they raised their hand. God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, in Jesus' name, I pray for them. Let them be a bright and a shining light, God. Let them to be able to discern evil, Father, from good. Come on, somebody. Let them be able to discern evil from good, God, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, I pray from, from righteousness, God. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, let them have a quickening ear and eye, the Spirit of God, to know and recognize and cause them, Father God, in Jesus' name, to have the giftings and the callings that when they are called to speak up, Father God, that somehow, some way, their voices will be heard, Father, and their testimony, God, in Jesus' name. And when they got to peel away like Moses did and find themselves in prayer, just to have the courage to get back up and do it all over again, give them the courage to do that, Father, in Jesus' name. Church family, as you leave here today, you're going to be reminded the word of faith is conflict. Conflict. You're living in it because all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. What's that mean? There's going to be conflict. But God's going to strengthen you. God's going to strengthen you. He's going to put his favor upon you. For such a time as this, you were born. This is your moment. God's called you. He's anointed you. And he's going to use you for the glory of God. Father, so I bless every man and woman under the sound of my voice to close this service. I'm so thankful for their convictions. I'm so thankful for their callings. I'm so thankful for the, to be their pastor, God. I pray, Lord, as they walk out of this church today, they're going to be reminded. Through the course of this week, they're going to think, their mind. They're going to try to forget about it, but the Spirit of God won't let them. And they're going to, they're going to have the picture image in their mind of Moses and Aaron standing in Pharaoh's court. And having the courage to speak the word of faith. And when that moment occurs for them, they're going to know God's called them in like measure and in like manner. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen and amen. And amen.